Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Leviticus chapter 20. You know the word of our God from Leviticus chapter 20. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, so that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his, his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You, thought, you shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourself detestable by, bird, by beast or by bird, or by anything which, with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. This is the word of the Lord. 
these chapters 19 and 20 are built together around chapter 19, verse 2. You shall be holy to me, for I... Uh, you shall be holy, for I, the, the Lord your God, am holy, which is then echoed again at the end of chapter 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And as that same language comes back around at the end of chapter 20, it signals to us that we are concluding a section that was begun in chapter 19, though obviously rooted in what was came before. And... Just, it's always useful to keep in mind, what does it mean to be holy? Uh, we oftentimes hear, yes, to be set apart, to be separate. But remember that way that God says it, I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. God's holiness is not just his distinctness that is what makes him different from us. God's holiness is also that which impels him to draw near to us and to draw us near to himself so that we might share in his holiness. Otherwise, what does it mean, you shall be holy to me? There's a direction here. It's not just, you shall be holy and therefore you shall be separate from the nations. It's you shall be holy to me. You might be holy that you should be mine. God's purpose in all of the holiness code is, after all, to bring a people near to himself. It's not simply to make us different from the nations. It includes that, certainly, but for a purpose, that we might be his, that we might belong to the Lord. We saw last time in chapter 19 how we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And in that sense, love for God and neighbor is really at the very heart of what holiness is all about. If you just think in terms of holiness, in terms of being separate, then it, perhaps we don't realize that holiness to God means love for God and neighbor. All the exhortations to holiness that we see in Leviticus emphasize the importance of engaging well, loving well, seeking relationship, seeking connection in ways that are edifying as opposed to the connections that are destructive. What we're looking at tonight is largely destructive connections and why they, are, they don't work for holiness because holiness requires separation from evil because we are called to be near God. And if you pursue evil, you can't be near God. This is the whole point of these distinctions we've been seeing between the holy and the profane, uh, the, the common. And then within the common, we've seen the clean and the unclean. And then within the unclean, we've seen ranging from the detestable to the perverse to the abomination. That these, these, the, that's, the movement towards death is not a movement towards God. The movement towards God is the movement towards the holy, where... Loving the Lord our God with all our heart will mean we're going in this direction towards the holy because the holy is, is, is the one who is love. And so that always will go together. Our hearts are restless because he made us for himself. And so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. So... Chapter 20 is very closely related to our previous chapters. It sets forth now the penalties for certain sins that we've heard about previously in chapters 18 and 19 and concludes the whole section on holiness from 17 through 20. 
if you think about it, in chapters 11 to 15, we saw the distinctions between clean and unclean heading towards the, the chapter 16 with, at the Day of Atonement, how Israel is to draw near to God. And now chapters 17 to 20 have set forth the distinctions between the, the, the holy and the profane. Um, we'll see in the following chapter about the holiness of the priest. So it's a, a new section will begin. But God has called Israel my son, my firstborn, back in Exodus 4. And God has promised Israel the land of Canaan as their inheritance. And Israel needs to understand that their continued inheritance depends upon their pursuit of holiness. Life in the promised land is contingent on being holy, even as God himself is holy. Now, if you think about how that connects to the New Testament, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, will say, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter will take, will take the language of Leviticus 18 to 20 and say, if you want to understand what it means, sort of how to think about Leviticus 18 to 20, Think about what it means for us to be holy as God is holy, to draw near to him and to be distinct from the nations, yes, but being distinct as we draw near to him. And we'll see this tonight in the three basic sections of the chapter, the importance of holiness in loving God in verses 1 through 9, the importance of holiness in sexual relations in verses 10 to 21, and then how holiness is related to the inheritance at the end of the chapter. First, we see that death is the penalty for idolatry, the command not to give your children to Moloch. Uh, chapter 18, verse 21, already condemned giving children to Moloch, and here we see the penalty. Now, giving children to Moloch uh, is a, it's an interesting question as to what that means. Uh, many for a long time have been saying that it means child sacrifice. It might. It's just... That's not obviously what the text says, and there's lots of questions about what is meant here. It's possible that giving your child to Molech means to dedicate the child to Molech's service. If you think about what's, what happens to Samuel at the beginning of, of the book of Samuel, his mother dedicates him to the Lord's service, and he goes to serve at the, at the tabernacle uh, with, with the prophet Eli. Uh, so that could be what's referred to here. So it's just, it also could be offering your children, offering your child as a, as a, burnt, as a, burnt, as a burnt offering to Molech. Um, but ancient Jewish commentators thought it meant something like what happened to Samuel. But the point here is that to offer your child to Molech in any way is to contradict the holiness of God. Your child belongs to God. So... Whether it's killing your child or uh, encouraging your child towards idolatry, both of them are bad ideas. Don't do it. Do not devote your child to foreign gods. Do not encourage them to worship the gods of the nations. The one who offers his child to Molech is to be stoned to death. And it doesn't matter who, who the person is. Is this an Israelite or a stranger or a sojourner? If you live in the holy land, then you may not worship another god. If you're part of the holy community, whether as a permanent resident or otherwise, you are, you're part of this community that is devoted to worshiping Yahweh. And verse 3 says that 
that God's, God says, I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. Certainly, Israel is supposed to do what God says, but the Lord says that when a man gives his child to Molech, when, that pollutes the sanctuary. It profanes God's holy name. And God says that if you don't act and deal with this, I will. If the, verse 4, if the people of the land do not do at all, close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who followed him in whoring after Molech. Verses 4 and 5 point out that if the people fail to remove the evil from among them, then God himself will avenge his holy name by destroying the families of the leaders of Israel. There's no place in the holy people for one who worships false gods. The wages of sin is death. Now, that's not just saying the wages of sin should be death. No, actually, the wages of sin is death. Anytime we sin, we are creating a, a disconnect between ourselves and reality. Sin, by its very nature, is disintegrating. We become less whole, less connected. What is death? You don't cease to exist when you die. What is death? Death is disintegration. Disintegration. The pulling apart of the self. The, that's, that's what death is. To exist in a state of disintegration is death. So when we say the wages of sin is death, well, a life of sin ends in death and a death that never ends. So, to a certain extent, you think about what is God's punishment of sin? Letting it continue to feed upon itself forever. He doesn't have to do much, because that's, that's what sin does. It devours and destroys. And that's where, why God is saying, don't let this fester in your community. And in verse 6, uh, we'd already been told back in chapter 19 that it was, it was you're not supposed to consult mediums and wizards or necromancers because mediums and necromancers claim connection with the dead and the dead are unclean. Uh, scripture never addresses the question of whether such people actually have contact with the dead. I mean, are they quacks or are they for real? Scripture doesn't bother with that question because they claim to have contact with the dead. Okay. <laughs> There you have it. If they claim to have contact with the dead, that is, they are promoting and encouraging uncleanness. They are promoting and encouraging connection with death. And that's not a path you should walk. By their own words shall you judge them. So it's, it's, it's not that, because if you think about it, if, if, if they're really just quacks, does that make it okay? <laughs> no. They are pursuing a path that leads to death. And so the Lord says he will set his face against those who consult mediums and necromancers. He will cut off such persons from their people. This is, there's, when you think about, we need to take seriously when God says he will do something. Because a lot of commentators think, oh, this is saying that uh, there's some judgment that needs to be carried out. Well, there is, and verse 27 will say that, in fact, Many think that 
probably verse 27 was originally right here, and then probably an early copyist uh, omitted the line, realized it later, and was like, to put it at the end of the manuscript of, the, of that section. That's a, that was a, that's a very common thing that you find among copyists. When they realize they missed something, they'll stick it in at the end. Uh, it just If it happened really early in the copying process, then it would be copied in all subsequent copies. But verse 27 requires the execution of mediums and wizards. But if Israel doesn't get around to it, does that mean, ah, hey, they got off scot-free? <laughs> no. God says... I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. God is saying, when he says, I will do this, he's saying that if Israel messes up and doesn't do what they're supposed to, that doesn't mean that, oh, no big deal. God says, then I will take care of it. But if you want me to take care of it, it's going to have consequences for the whole of Israel, not just for the people who are individually guilty. But also notice the way verse 6 describes this action, whoring after them, whoring after mediums and necromancers. Again, we see this connection between adultery and idolatry. Illicit sexual activity and illicit religious activity are woven together. And we need to heed these warnings because it is inconsistent with your identity as the people of God to turn to idols. It is inconsistent with your identity in Christ as to pursue fortune tellers and their ilk because you are to consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am the Lord your God. Israel was called to be a holy people and Peter says, and you are called to be a holy people. You're supposed to resemble your father just like a son resembles his earthly father so also we are to resemble our heavenly father. As one commentator puts it, Israel was to be fully conscious of the absolute antithesis between the service of the Lord and that of other gods and spirits. No man can serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other or vice versa. If the people serve a holy God, they are to know that they had to conduct themselves as a holy nation walking in his paths. This is the path of life for a holy people. Now, do you see what God is saying here? He's calling Israel a holy people. How'd this happen? <laughs> Think back. Not so long ago, um, they were a stiff-necked people. They were sort of... How, how did Israel get to be a holy people? Chapter 16. The center of the book of Leviticus, the day of atonement, the high priest has entered into the holy of holies, has brought all Israel with him into the age to come as he comes into the holy place. God's people are now made holy in the priest. And because he is holy and they are in him, the names of the twelve tribes are on the twelve stones, he brings Israel into the holy of holies and now Israel is holy. There is a definitive sanctification that takes place in the life of Israel. There is this moment where God's people are transformed into a holy people because not because they're so righteous, not because they've done all these great things, but because God has put them there. He has brought them there through the work of his mediator. And that is what now, of course, if you can see easily where this connects to Jesus because what has Jesus done? He didn't just do this once a year. He did this once for all. 
He has brought us and made us positionally holy. This definitive sanctification is now ours. We, as our as our catechism puts it, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That's not a sort of progressive future thing. or part. No, you, we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So this positional holiness, this definitive sanctification, you are holy in Christ. That is what you have been made to be. And now that you are holy, be who you are in Christ. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that's then where verse 8 goes in expressing the more and more. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the one who makes you holy. And then he turns to another warning. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Now, why does he move to cursing father and mother? I suggest it's because of the importance of the seed that we see in this whole section. In chapter 18, as well as then in chapter 19, associated honoring father and mother with the condemnation of idolatry. Chapter 20 places it as the transition in between idolatry and adultery. Cursing your parents is not some minor matter. We saw this morning how the the spoken word matters. To curse a deaf man is a great evil because he cannot defend himself from such a curse any more than a blind man can defend himself from a stumbling block. To curse in Hebrew means to, to speak of something as worthless. It's the opposite of to honor. To honor carries the idea of weight. that It gives weight to the one who you are honoring. To curse is to, give, to remove weight, is to make them lightweights. So to curse your parents is to take them lightly. And God declares that those who curse their parents shall surely be put to death. Why is it such an awful sin to curse your parents? Well, the logic of a curse is to say, I wish you didn't exist. Well, if you curse your parents, what did you just do? You cursed yourself. Because if your parents didn't exist, you wouldn't either. As one woman wrote, hating our mothers means hating ourselves. Verses 10 to 21 then turn to holiness in sexual relations and and how the wages of sin is death there as well. In verse 10, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. These penalties deal with the sins of chapter 18. We've, We've heard about all of these sins before, but in the previous chapter, it was all about how these things made you unclean, dealing with the ceremonial aspect of of what sin does. And now we're turning to the civil aspect, you might say, of how is Israel supposed to handle these things in their daily life? And in in several places, uh, the phrase is used, their blood is upon them. Verse 9, 11, 12, 13, 16, 17, uh, 27. So this language of their blood is upon them means that the community is guiltless for putting them to death. So, for instance, because because their blood is upon them, their blood is on their own head, their blood is on their own hands, they have, by engaging in an activity that is worthy of death, they have forfeited their right to life. 
Now, how should we think about the, 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 the penal aspect of this? What, how should we think? Uh, it's worth noting that both Jesus and Paul deal with cases that are directly related to these verses. When Jesus is faced with the woman caught in adultery, uh, his response makes clear that he sees the problem. If she was caught in adultery, why are we only talking to her? Where's the man? To be caught in adultery, it's kind of hard to be caught in adultery if you're all by yourself. Uh, so where is he? Moses didn't have a double standard, so why, should you, why do you think I do have a... <laughs> but then in 1 Corinthians, Paul faces a situation where a man was sleeping with his father's wife. I, I, one of the things that Moses explicitly said was in verse 11 was forbidden. But what does Paul do with that? He insists on a spiritual death penalty, not a physical one. Listen to how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 4. After describing the problem, he says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. You know, they, sounds like they were saying, Hey, we're free. You know, the, old, the old jingle, Free from the law, oh blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission. Like, no! Paul's like, this is not the way you should be thinking. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul is connecting the idea of the Old Testament death penalty with the New Testament idea of excommunication and ties it explicitly to how Christ fulfills the Passover as he becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what's the implication for the church? Well, Paul makes it clear, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul takes the language that Moses had used to refer to the death penalty and applies it to church discipline. The penal code of Leviticus is seen less by Paul as a... He doesn't, he doesn't see it as a, as a handbook for civil government. He sees it more of a book of church order that directs us to how does the church put these things into practice in the life of the body of Christ. And when we think about how the, I mean, the, this is... Now, as we'll see, there's... God says these things are, are, are wrong, bad, heinous. And so we, we shouldn't want to see nations per, do them either. But in terms of what God directs his people to do about it, we are his people. So that's where, this is where Leviticus is more of a book of church order and less of a manual for civil government. And that may help us make sense of verses 13 to 16. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. As many of you know, I, I, I prefer not to use the modern Freudian term homosexual. I find that 
buying into the, our modern culture's way of talking is not necessarily a great idea. But, so let's just use the language that's used here. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, both the one who penetrates and the one who is penetrated. If you think about our discussion in chapters 12, 15, and 18, the woman's womb is portrayed as a picture of the holy place. If you have two men, there is no holy place. So there's no place for your priest to go. It's also why a man may not take a woman and her mother. After all, the daughter was once in the mother's holy place. So that's messed up if you just think about the symbolism there. That's depravity. And then doing stuff with animals? Chapter 18 referred to that as perversion. No, don't go there. It's mixing things up that should not be mixed. And these things have no place in the body of Christ. Now, so far it sounds like everything is getting the death penalty. And that's because we've focused on those things that get the death penalty. But in verses 17 to 21, the language changes. First, it speaks of, in, of, of a, it's a, again, taking seriously the, what's being said here, if they're being cut off in the sight of the children of their people, this sounds more like shunning, this sounds more like some sort of excommunication, banishment, sort of something of that sort. But verse 18 refers to the, the theme of the woman's menstrual period as the fountain of her blood. Remember we saw in previous chapters how the womb is portrayed as a wellspring, uh, potentially of life through childbirth, but also when a woman starts bleeding, uh, bleeding is associated with death. And so with blood, with the life in being in the blood, blood, so, and that's where, as we remember, if a woman starts bleeding and never stops bleeding, I mean, think about the woman in the Gospels who came to Jesus, a flow of blood for 13 years. Whew. A flow of blood for 13 years? If you never stop bleeding, that means there will never be children again? <laughs> this is, you know, if, every, if every woman is constantly bleeding, there will never be another child born. End of the world. Catastrophe. And even the normal menstrual cycle is a reminder of the precariousness of this. Every time a woman starts bleeding... It's a reminder that she's not pregnant. If the bleeding continues indefinitely, she will never bear children. But, thanks be to God, the bleeding usually stops after a few days, and so the potential for life returns. Now, I, I hope, my dear sisters, that you never think of your period the same way ever again. If God made your body, your reproductive system, to reflect something beautiful about his purposes for coming to dwell with us, and... This is, and this is not, we oftentimes focus on sort of sexual union as that picture, but Leviticus shows us it's, it's the woman's body, whether she ever gets married or not, whether she ever has children or not, there is that picture of the holy place is, a, is an important picture in the, in the way that God made the world, just like when he, when he created the world and he put, he put a garden for, and Adam and Eve were dwelling in the garden and that place was the place where God would meet with his people. There's also that womb, the womb being a microcosmic picture of that as well. 
And also for husbands, respect your wife. You know, when, you're, when her holy place is a bloody mess, humble yourself, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. I mean, that's just, this, is, this is not the place to go at that time. Now, th- notice the judgments in this section are lesser than in the first part. Being cut off from among their people indicates something like a shunning or, or banishment. And when God says in these verses that they shall bear their iniquity, uh, it's, it suggests that this is, what, what do you do if you're, you're bearing your iniquity? Is there any hope for you? How do you resolve this? Hint, hint. Read earlier in Leviticus. Bring a guilt offering. If you're guilty in the Lord's holy things, there's a way to deal with it. Bring a guilt offering and you can, that, the guilt offering is your get, get out of, it's not get out of jail free because that's a, it's an expensive offering to bring a guilt offering. But there's a way out of, of your guilt. Repent. Deal with it. Don't stay there. But then, but then, uh, even dealing with the with with the uh, the brother in verse twenty one, uh, when it says that if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. Now, this presumes that his brother is still alive. One thing we one of the things we often forget is that divorce was rampant in the ancient world and ancient Israel. It was not that different. So, I mean, if, basically. Your brother and his, and his wife get divorced. It's like, no, don't take her. And also, take her doesn't necessarily mean get married to her. Again, Moses is not assuming, God is not assuming, that Israel is doing everything the right way. He knows very well they're not doing... I mean, there's all sorts of things that are described into, that are like, how could anybody... Well, right, but, the, but this is obviously a problem. But this is where if you do take your brother's wife, then you... Then the, the, the penalty there, they shall be childless. How do you enforce that? Not all of these penalties are to be enforced by Israel. This is, this is, what, uh, this is what God says he will do. And now also, you may, be, you may be thinking, what about leveret marriage? Right. If your brother and his wife had no children, then when he dies, you are expected to take his wife in order to have a, chi- a child that would carry on the name of your brother, but that's that's an exception to this case. But this, but the ordinary rule is, don't take your brother's wife. And the last section of the chapter then uh, warns Israel that if they don't enforce these penalties, then the land itself will become defiled and will vomit them out. It's a warning of the exile. The nations have committed these abominations and depravity, and so God is driving them out before Israel. He is bringing a foretaste of the final judgment upon the nations. That's what the conquest is all about. So that the nations might see what their sin deserves, and indeed so that Israel might see what sin deserves. Israel is called to be holy, and God has promised that they will inherit this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Yahweh, your God, who have separated you from the peoples. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess. God says, you are, you are holy. God has given you an inheritance, so live in accordance with this holy identity. If you're no different than the nations, then your inheritance will be forfeit. 
you shall be holy to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. God says you're mine. You're my people. I want you to be with me. If you live like the nations, if you continue in the path of the nations, then you will continue to live a life of double-heartedness, double-souledness, splitting apart, disintegrating, a disintegrating life that will not end well. It, it's, it's the point that I've, I've just seen so many times over and over again. When we live the way God tells us to live, when we live as Jesus calls us, it's simply better. It's, it's not that everything goes well. It doesn't prevent cancer. It doesn't prevent depression. It doesn't de- prevent all the sufferings and, ag- and agonies of life. It's why my hunch is, if anybody ever figured out how to do a sociological study on you know, people who follow what God says versus people who don't, they could, they'd probably never be able to figure out any measurable outcome <laughs> that was objectively better. And yet... I gotta say, when I don't live the way God says, versus when I do, oh yeah, it's better. How do I explain it? Only that God made the world to live, to work this way. And so when we live this way, it does, it simply works. And, and then right there in the middle of, of as this exhortation, we suddenly go back to clean and unclean. Verse 25, you shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. What's going on here? It's reminding us to maintain the distinction between clean and unclean, profane and holy. Israel is my son, my firstborn. Israel is a holy people, but their continued life as the heirs of God depends on on walking in the holiness that God has given them. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And that's why what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 is so important. As as obedient children, remember, Israel is my son, my firstborn. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, how, how is it different for us? Well, this is what Peter explains in the next verses. 1 Peter 1, verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Yeah. What are these futile ways inherited from your forefathers? Leviticus. How were you ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter says that you are ransomed from those futile ways. There's, sure, what God gave Israel in Leviticus was better than anything anybody had ever had before. And yet, what Jesus has done is brought a wholeness and a fulfillment that didn't happen then. The obligation to be holy as God is holy remains the same. 
The difference is that there is no longer a threat that the holy people will lose their inheritance because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has received the eternal inheritance from the Father and so there is no way that the inheritance can be lost. The heavenly kingdom will never vomit out those who belong to Jesus. And so those who belong to Jesus will be holy as he is holy. We are not to live like the nations around us. We're not to live like typical Americans. But we are to, as Revelation says, we are to come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Those who fall prey to Babylon, those who insist on remaining in their sin, are like dogs returning to their vomit, and they will be spat out. As Paul goes on in that same 1 Corinthians passage, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things have no place in Christ's inheritance. But for those of I won't just say you. For those of us who are guilty of such things, do not lose hope because those who repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus and are baptized will be saved, as Paul says in verse 11, and such were some of you. That was who you were. You were sexually immoral. You were idolaters. You were adulterers. You were that, that phrase, sort of men who sleep with other men. Uh, you were thieves, you were greedy, you were drunkards, you were revilers, you were swindlers. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus came in our flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. And because He sits at the right hand of the Father, He has sent His Spirit to join those who believe in Him to Himself, that we might be His, that you should be mine, God says. You're mine. Remember that. Lord, have mercy. Help us to remember what You have said about us. Help us to hear Your voice, to believe Your promises, to to hear what You say to Your people. And Lord, help us to repent. Help us to turn away from the ways in which we once walked, that we might more and more grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that we might hear your voice and humble ourselves before you and walk humbly and faithfully in the ways of your Son, our Savior. Father, help us because we are weak and frail and we have, we have so much that we've failed to do that we have left undone the things we ought to have done and we did stuff we shouldn't. Help us, Lord. Forgive us. Renew us. And strengthen us to, to do that which you have set before us, that we might be holy as you are holy. That we might be holy to you. That we might be holy as your people, as those whom you draw near to yourself, that we might be near you. Lord, help us. Help us in our homes, in our relations as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as friends and roommates and neighbors and in our, in our work, in our schools, in, our, in every place where you put us. 
May we love the way you have loved. May we humble ourselves the way you humbled yourself in the person of your Son who took upon himself our humanity that through his coming in our flesh he might join us to your life. Help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.